Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Uh, Welcome to Dan's Talks. This is Dan Rotiner, and uh, my guest today is Catherine Sly, who is a local pilot who flies her aircraft in and out of East Hampton and uh, has been uh, connected up with the uh, Pilots Association. I don't know if she's a I know she's a charter member or something. or And we've had this tumult here where they've tried to rein in the uh, noise and change the who owns it and all kinds of things. And uh, basically, it seems like uh, nothing's changed. So I thought to call her up. She was uh, pretty active in it. And uh, what what is your position with the uh, Pilots Association? And what does it consist of? Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on your podcast and appreciate you inviting me here today. Uh, And I'm happy to kind of answer any questions you have and give you as much information. Um, I am currently the vice president of the East Hampton Aviation Association, which is just a a group of local pilots. Uh, It is a social club for all intents and purposes of local pilots who all live here in East Hampton or the surrounding regions. Um, we have one of the largest groups um, of, of pilot association groups in the entire country, actually. Um, I think we have either second or third largest in the whole country. And I'm the vice president. As you know, uh, our president, we lost our president of our association in October, Kent Fwaring, uh, in that tragic accident. So I'm kind of acting as both vice president and somewhat acting president in the interim until we elected one. Yeah, that, um, that accident uh, occurred over. Three Mile Harbor, I live on the borders of it. I wasn't home at the time, but I was able to see the remains of the, uh, it was a very small, I guess, experimental plane. Not experimental, but it was a- what Light they sport. Yeah, light sport's the word you were looking for. Yes, and a very well-known and beloved uh, man was flying it. And apparently uh, one of the bolts on the wings came loose and the wing flew off and he fell to into the wetlands with the plane and it was a mess and terrible time. But really what we wanted to talk about, I think, and you would agree, is all these attempts to change things at the airport so that people wouldn't be complaining who live nearby and it's too noisy. Do you um, agree that um, uh, there was this attempt basically failed? Or do you have a different view of what happened? I, I guess you'd have to kind of take it apart into di- you know a different view, maybe from a different angle as to what was the town actually trying to accomplish and what were their actual goals. If the goal is to actually um, you know put controls upon the airport, ensure that uh, 
The no we do everything we can to mitigate noise as best as possible. Well, reasonable controls like curfews, uh, perhaps even the number of certain types of aircraft that come and go when they can come and go. Those are all the kind of things that are good aspirational um, uh, controls to put on a, a, an airport, a growing airport. Um, this, even though this airport is not actually growing in operations, uh, the types of aircraft are changing at the air, at the airport over the years, over the past thirty years. And and yes, I think that's a reason, reasonable and aspirate goal for the community to have. And we, as the pilots, want to see that same thing. Do I believe that was the town's goal? I'm not certain. Uh, there's been a lot of indications from the town that their goal is actually to just close it permanently. In fact, I believe um, last June they publicly stated that um, they were intended on closing the airport as soon as legally possible. And even as recently as two weeks ago in one of their recent resolutions where they were paying yet more money to a law firm, they state that the purpose of hiring that law firm is to close the East Hampton Airport. So it, it all depends on actually what the goal being being sought after really is going to be. It, it's just it's a very dynamic situation right now. Um, how does it affect the uh, people who fly in? Not the people, but the pilots and owners who fly in and out of East Hampton. Well, um, it. As far as over the last year, what has happened essentially is there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of bad information. The town attempted to close the airport and then uh, said, changed their mind and said they were actually going to close it and then reopen it as a private airport. But then they wanted to put a whole set of rules that were later determined by a judge to be arbitrary and capricious. But that created a lot of confusion. So over the past year, uh, there was a almost a 25% reduction in flights, which if you think about it, if you think of what it would happen to your investments dropped by 25% or your paycheck dropped by 25%, that's a significant amount of a loss of revenue. Um, and, a and, a, and a decrease. That was primarily caused because of the confusion. So less pilots were flying in and out because quite frankly, no one had a clue what was happening at the airport and whether or not it was open or closed or even safe. Now that things have kind of settled out with the court cases and everything, uh, it, it should, most of the pilots do understand that the airport is still operating as it, as it has with the, the regular curfew that is in place, the regular restrictions that are in place, and the regular rules that all the pilots have agreed to fly by, that those are still actually going to be continuing on just as they were about this time last year. Was um, well, those restrictions um, were approved by the FAA and included uh, earlier on they had certain weights that couldn't land and there were much more strict rules which well that's a confusion that's a bit of confusion that's been that some people have out there the FAA has never opined on the rules one way or the other the FAA does it's not their it's not their place to they don't come in, they don't say we approve them or disapprove them. All the FAA did was tell the town, if you want to close your airport, your public airport, and open it as a private airport, you have to fill out these forms, and then you do it. That's all the FAA had to say about that procedure. What the town was proposing to do with it afterwards would be entirely up to the town as to whether or not the, those rules were, were uh, you know, would, were useful uh, appropriate, or in, in this case, even legal under the both the ANCA framework and uh, what the court has determined was ultimately arbitrary and capricious. But the FAA is not involved in that process of determining whether those rules should be or shouldn't be used. 
Well, those rules became public about a week before they actually announced they were going to close them. And they seemed pretty reasonable to uh, mm-hmm. to me. They weren't going to close the airport. They were just going to uh, change it so that uh, certain heavy aircraft uh, wouldn't be able to land. Or if they did, they'd have to pay a, a whole lot of money more. And uh, I think there was uh, new restrictions about... Um, I can't remember them all. You would remember them. And they never went into effect because at the very last minute, people were able to get a judge to create a uh, an injunction that would prevent these rules from coming into effect. I think my question to you is, did any of these rules survive simply because it was apparent that they were needed? Or did they all evaporate? And uh, just going back to having anybody come in and out. And the, I know the airport does close at 11 o'clock or whenever it is, but you can still fly in and out after that. So has there been any change whatsoever from say two years ago when mm-hmm. um, before the uh, town went to all this trouble and spent all this money? As far as how how the the legal rules from, from, a, from a legal standpoint, how the rules changed, um, no, there are still no uh, legal rules imposed on the airport operations. Uh, the curfew still remains, but and yes, a, a plane can technically fly in after the curfew, but currently we're getting a, a less than 0.5% violation. That's a 99.5% compliance rate with that curfew. Um, from pilots who are operating at the airport. So this is not as though that you've got, you know, 20, 30% of the planes are coming in at 1 a.m. That's not happening. So those those same rules are still in effect. Um, As far as the rules that the town had proposed, the aviation community actually got together uh, several times before the litigation and during the pendency of the litigation and approached the town and basically said, you know, 90% of these rules are reasonable. We just want to tweak a few of them. We don't have a problem with them. We believe that most of them are fine and some of them might be effective, but there are some that are simply not going to be effective and are actually punitive for no other reason than to be punitive. And some actually may make the problem worse. And so we put together a proposal to the town and we presented it to them. Uh, oh, gosh, now it's been eight, nine, ten months, eight, nine months now uh, that they've had it. And uh, and like the, the major changes were things like, for example, their their attempt to charge local pilots three hundred dollars to take off and land. That's quite expensive for a local pilot and would be the first time anything like that had ever been enacted anywhere in the entire United States by a margin of probably a thousand percent. Um, it, it, it's a massive issue and, and that's really unfair and is designed not for any other purpose than to punish local pilots and to eliminate, they, um, that's one of the other issues was they wanted to eliminate all flight training so that none of the young people who are in high school or young college students who want to pursue a career in aviation who live here locally, that would be banned. So those rules did not seem to fit in with the character of our community whereas some of the rules did. Now we proposed that to the town and we, we agreed that yes, a, a good amount of these, we could all, everybody could live with. Uh, the one thing that we requested in return from the town, if everybody were to agree to that slightly modified subset was that the town agreed to not close the airport for 10 years. Simple as that. 
And the town response was, that's a non-starter. We want to be able to close this airport at the drop of a hat whenever we wish. And that kind of exposed, again, what is their real goal? Is their real goal like Naples has done, like Coeur d'Alene has done, like um, Aspen has done, where those towns, those town boards worked with their community, worked with the aviation community, came up with a set of restrictions that worked for the community, and they've been effective and they've worked. Our town declared war on the aviation community and several of its own residents Excuse me, I'm going to interrupt you here because what you're doing here is simply saying what we all, what most of us know, which is that it was somebody else's fault, whoever is doing this. What I've asked you about, however, was whether any of the ones that you like actually voluntarily been put into effect anyway. There were some, as you said, most of the proposed laws uh, should have been in effect. So you could do that if you wanted to do that, it seems to me, simply by posting them and saying, this is what we want to do. And that's what I wanted to ask you about whether that was ever done, or are we back to where everybody doesn't do anything? Well, Dan, we actually put those, almost all of those same rules and regulations. Uh, we did put together a fly neighborly program back in 2020 is when it was first put together by the aviation community. We sat down together and we put it together and we brought it to the town. And we said, town, we would like to use these restrictions. We're willing to all abide by them. We want these restrictions to, to, to be the set of restrictions. And they're very similar to the ones that the town ultimately proposed with some of the exceptions that we've talked about. Uh, we, went, we went ahead two, three years, almost three years ago now and brought that to the town and the, town's, the town basically told us to take a hike. So we went ahead and agreed to comply with those anyway. So most of the flights that you're actually seeing now, local, commercial, it doesn't matter, are actually still in compliance with almost all of those rules. There's very few of those rules that are different or new than anything we've been doing for the past three years. So that, that's already taken place. We're just not getting any cooperation in return from the town. What was the, uh, what were some of the rules that you mentioned that are now in effect, which the town had brought into effect at the last minute, which then never happened, but you are continuing. What's specific rules? You said most of them were good ones. What sure. were some of them that are different? The, cur the curfews. The curfews yeah. are a big deal. Um, that most of the most of the pilots are actually still flying in at the curfew hours. The one one of the requests that we did want to change with them was that they wanted we would ask the local pilots to be exempted from certain early morning curfews because we have a smaller aircraft and we don't want to get caught up with big aircraft. Um, and so, though, but for the vast majority, those are still rules that everybody, like I said, we've got a 99.9.5% compliance rate with the curfews that have already been put in place. There was, there was a proposal that a certain number of helicopters could come in and out based mm -hmm. on, a, on a particular owner of a particular group. There were other, I'm asking you about those again, which uh, were, I thought, good, and you just told me you thought they were good. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if, in fact, they are now in place and people are following them. There, well, again, it, saying it's a rule in place because obviously it would be a voluntary situation. Um, right. it wouldn't, it's not really technically a rule. 
to the best of mind, I don't, again, I don't fly a helicopter. I don't work for any of the helicopter companies. I'm a small local pilot, two-seat fabric-covered aircraft in East Hampton. Uh, so I can't speak for them. I do know that when the proposal was made to the town, that all of the helicopter operators would agree to comply with that. Uh, right now, I don't know if that's going to be something that they're going to comply with until the town comes back with a response saying whether or not they're going to agree to keep the airport open. Um, right now, they're not agreeing to keep the airport open, and they're actually have, 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 have pretty much pilfered the airport's funds recently. Uh, yet another 3.5 or $3.2 million to Cooley, so a couple hundred thousand to another law firm. Um, on top of the three million from last year, um, but they were, you know, have 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 regularly refused to perform basic maintenance at the airport using those same funds. So their current goal seems to be to just eventually empty the coffers of the airport and try to force it to close through the back door, what they couldn't get in through the front door due to a court order. Well, I certainly don't agree with what you said. The airport is quite profitable. Nobody's pilfering anything, in my view. I think that the monies that are in the account for the airport are being used to try and mitigate noise, which is a proper thing that they would uh, hire attorneys to try. And if somebody flew a plane 200 feet over the airport and they had to hire a lawyer, they could spend that money. And yeah. some of the things that were being done at the airport that were very noisy, that's what they're trying to use it for. I, I'm little surprised at what your point of view and maybe maybe we shouldn't press on to some other things about well, the I, I have a question for you dan if you have an air if, you know again think of the airport's business operations they've dropped 25 percent in the last year that means its revenues have dropped 25 percent in the last year due to the town's actions which means it's making less money in the past three years the town has spent more than seven million dollars of the airport's operating and maintenance funds to pay its lawyers Seven million dollars. I'm not sure you you believe you know how much this airport actually I saw, makes. I saw the ads for that, and the number was 1.8 million dollars over okay. several years, not seven. I, well, I, Dan, I, I, I can show you. I mean, just in um, resolution 2023-307, they actually upped Cooley's the allocation for Cooley this year alone to 3.2 million dollars. Under regulation 2023, uh, sorry, resolution 2023-282, they gave another couple hundred thousand to Regano specifically for, in quotes, the closure of the East Hampton Airport. That's just this year. Last year, they spent 3.5 million of the airport's money, and the year before, it was 2 million of the airport's money. So, no, these are these are in the resolutions. This is their actual town resolution. I don't, How much I don't money know where, you, where your facts come from. The ads put in by the group that is opposed to closing the airport was using numbers that were far lower, and they'd have every reason to use numbers that you presented just then. I, I'm going by the anyway, town board's own resolutions. What? The town board's own resolutions. Well, let's press on. Does anybody commute from this airport to go? On a regular basis, but in, in their own private planes, uh, many people, um, many people do. As far as local, you're asking about local residents. Local res, many local residents do. Um, there are several business owners here who actually uh, live in Connecticut or in other town, other other cities around the area, who actually fly in almost on a daily basis to their businesses locally. I know several, including one who's recently been on your podcast. 
um, who actually does the same thing, who actually lives in East Hampton, but his work requires him to travel to commute on a regular basis. Um, one of my plane partners also, uh, his family lives both in East Hampton and in other areas of the country, and he has to commute while their business is located here. Uh, and so he has to commute back and forth. So there are quite a few people who actually do use the airport to commute, who live here, who are locals, who are residents, um, but use the airport for business purposes to commute to and from their places of business and their business activities. Why would it make sense for them to uh, be living out here while their businesses are somewhere else? Uh, again, all, all of these individuals who I've listed, they're, they're mentioned their businesses are here. And so they, but they don't live here. They just work here. They work here and they either live here or have residences in multiple areas or that sometimes their business activities take them to other areas. Um, such as if they have meetings they have to go to or they have uh, multiple different business locations of their, their main business. But their main businesses are, again, all, all, the business itself is located in East Hampton. Do you remember when they used to give flying lessons and also there was a guy who did acrobatic stuff? Um, I do remember. I, I learned to fly in East Hampton Airport, so I remember when they gave flying lessons and, and most people I fly with. And uh, I, I actually have an acrobatic, it's actually aerobatic, but an aerobatic airplane. Uh, and, and we do that as well. Uh, what kind of an aircraft do you, do you own and fly? I have a little two-seat. Uh, it's called a Super Decathlon. It's a tailwheel, meaning it's the old school style. Of, think of like a World War II plane where the wheels, the little tiny wheels in the back and the two wheels are up front. And it's one seat in the front, one seat in the back. It's covered in fabric and it's red, white, and blue. Is it... Uh... I presume it's a single engine aircraft? Yes, it's a single engine piston aircraft. How, how long have you been flying that plane? I've been flying for about 10 years. So, and how old is it? You said you thought it was a World War II plane? Oh, no, I'm saying the style of it. My aircraft is, is much newer than that. Um, but we have several that are. Um, there are several aircraft that local owners, residents on our, our, our at the airport have. I think our oldest one is 1928. Uh, and it's still, they, they still get that one up pretty frequently. Uh, we have several that are in the 1930s and 40s um, that are located at the airport that fly on a regular basis. So we have a lot of really good, cool aircraft there. When is, the, uh, several days during the summer, the air, airport is open to visitors to come and uh, they rope off a part of the airport that isn't in use and they display planes that fly in from elsewhere. I remember the uh, author of Catch-22 coming down there with me and looking at the bomber that uh, someone owned that was used in the uh, uh, campaign in Europe against the Italians and the uh, Germans in Italy. And it had a big cowl in the front with machine guns and it was all kinds of interesting stuff. There was another one I recall that was uh, one of the earliest uh, passenger planes. Do you remember that one? I, I, I actually put on that. It's called Just Plain Fun Day. Um, and I'm, I'm in charge of putting it on every year. Uh, the, the passenger plane you're thinking of, it was a, a 1928 Ford Trimotor. Yes. That was Ford. flown. Yeah, that was flown by uh, everything from Charles Lindbergh to Amelia Earhart. Uh, it, it had quite an amazing history to it. Uh, the other one you're thinking of is the C-47 Skytrain that is owned by the American Air Power Museum that they brought it out. Uh, we also have another C-47 class, and Lassie was here last year. 
um, that one of our local our local uh, group area um, pilots and he his he has a company that owns that as well. So uh, we we get a lot of really amazing aircraft. And again, these are these are everybody who brings these aircraft has a connection to the East Hampton Airport. They're not just brought in. For example, the gentleman who owns the Ford Trimolar, he actually has been trying to keep his he he works here, keeps a plane here, and has been trying to actually buy the, the hangar, uh, Bonnie and Ben's old hangar for the past couple of years. Um, so every single one of those aircraft actually has a direct connection with East Hampton. They don't just come in randomly. These are people who, who, who fly and use the airport. Are there an adequate number of hangars? Well, in my opinion, there's never an adequate enough number of hangers. Um, but as of right now, yes, we 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 have an adequate number of hangers. Um, uh, there could always be a couple or more, but the the buying and selling of the hangers uh, has been been pretty steady recently. There are no um, available hangers currently, but there's always the ability to usually find a space to put an airplane. The bottom line is, is we want to keep our airport. Our community wants to keep our airport. We want to do what is necessary to make it a good neighbor. Uh, and we want to find a path to that. We don't want to, to have the, the town try to close it on us. We want to find a way. And we very firmly believe there is a path to, find, to be found. The local aviation community is fully in support of finding um, a nice middle ground, a way to compromise, a way to mitigate the noise, put some, some reasonable controls into place, but keep this amazing asset that we have in our community, you know, keep flight training alive and keep aviation as, as a part of our community. Have, has there been a change out on Three Mile Harbor Road where there's a helicopter uh, pad? I think they've improved it. There are a couple of um, helicopter pads around the area. Um, and I do believe the one you're talking about is the Bistrian and they did repave it and repaint it. Um, it has been a helicopter pad for, oh gosh, almost 50 years. And so that one is still a helicopter pad there. Um, whether it will ever actually be used for anyone other than the Bistrian family as a private helipad, that's to be determined. Um, I really don't know for certain one way or the other. I think that's a, a bad outcome for everybody. I think having the airport remain as the airport for all of the, the, the uh, aviation, be it a rotorcraft or a fixed wing, it should be our goal. Do you, are you at all familiar with the helicopter pad out on Meadow Lane in Southampton and how that, who owns that and how that works? Uh, I'm not that familiar with it, but from what I understand, the town of Southampton owns it. I see. Because um, uh, that's uh, 87 November. That's the name of it. Yeah, the, uh, it's interesting. You don't hear them. Th those helicopters land smack in the middle of the summer colony. Yep. And uh, I guess they've been doing that a while. Well, they uh, have. Thanks for being on. And uh, we wish you luck. And I hope the uh, airport stays open myself, but we find ways to make it a little easier on the people living around it. Absolutely. We agree. We agree. Hopefully that's the path forward. Okay. Thank you, Dan. We appreciate it. Bye-bye. Take care.